Acts chapter 13. So today we are going to continue what we started a few weeks ago, because we started a couple weeks ago in the first couple verses here in chapter 13 as we are starting this new series, Sent. Because really from chapter 13 through the end of the book of Acts, it's really all about the church on the move, the church really spreading out into the uttermost, and the gospel is exploding. And what we see in the next several chapters is some of Paul's missionary journeys. We have three missionary journeys from Paul, and the first missionary journey is conducted in chapter 13 and 14, where him and Barnabas are sent out of the church at Antioch. And we talked about Antioch for a couple weeks and the importance of Antioch, how they were an influencing church. They influenced people with the gospel. They impacted people with the gospel. And we're going to continue that thought a little bit this morning in chapter 13 as, as we see where Paul and Barnabas specifically are sent out. And I think in chapter six or 13 and 14, I think there are six different stops that they make in their first missionary journey to try to get the gospel out there, to try to start and establish other churches. And what, what we see, though, and what I've talked about, is that a lot of times we are all about church additions. Now, we, we need to try to add people to the church. That's important. But we also need to be trying to multiply the church. And multiplying the church is the opportunity to send missionaries out or to send church planners out and start other churches. And that's, that's one thing I, I strongly desire within our ministry, that we can have the opportunity to send missionaries or church planners out someday to start other works and really be a multiplication of Eagle Drive. But one thing we have discovered along the way, and we had the, the great illustration several weeks ago when we had the, the line, you know, the, the guys over here and the, and the teenagers, we're not going to do that again today. But we had the great illustration there that the mission of Jesus is unstoppable. That there are times where it feels like we just can't break through. That Satan and all the forces and the opposition against the church are, are so strong. And they are strong. They are powerful. But if God wants to do something, He's going to do it. And that's the awesome thing. And the great thing, too, is that He wants to do the work through us, His church. And we have to understand that. Understand that the mission of Jesus is unstoppable. You know, Acts is a book of action. That's what I think of when I think of Acts. It's a book of action. Now, action means moving, going forward, not standing still. But a lot of times as Christians, we are very content with staying where we are. And I know some of you guys look tired today. It's just that summer, the heat, you're probably drained from a long week of camp or just drained from sitting by the pool all day, whatever it is. Uh, but understand that we are to be active in our faith. This shows that we are supposed to be thriving in our faith. You know, we're, we're supposed to impact the world, and that's one thing I want to do. I desire to do that. I want to impact our community for Christ and, and show them the radical power of the gospel and show them that the world still can be turned upside down. And the main point that we're going to try to unpack today and a little bit in our EQ time this morning is this. As the church grows spiritually, the gospel spreads radically. As the church grows spiritually, the gospel spreads radically. We should desire to grow spiritually. And I'm talking more than just as a whole, individually. Individually, you should be growing spiritually. There are several steps in which you can take to try to grow spiritually, but one very important thing is reading your Bible, doing Bible studies and praying and coming to church and being part of small groups and all kinds of things. But what we see, especially in Antioch, is that as they were growing spiritually, as they were being 
poured into and invested and mentored and discipled, the gospel was spreading radically because when God is in you, it's go- he's going to come out. That, 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 I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. When, when the Holy Spirit is really in you and directing your life, he is going to come out. And I think a lot of times what's evident in the life of many Christians, and we talk about American culture a lot, and the American culture is that it's not that the Holy Spirit isn't necessarily residing within us, but we are trying to quench the Holy Spirit by not doing what He's called us to do, by not being active in our mission for God. Now look, we should enjoy this life, and, and many of you guys will have a barbecue later, or you know, enjoy time with your family, and you should do that. And it's very important to do those things. It's very important to, to take a break from time to time and, and go on vacation and enjoy life. But I think sometimes we are so concerned with enjoying life that we forget what God has called us to do on this earth. And we forget the mission that He has called us to do. Again, I want us to grow spiritually. And I'm trying my best uh, with God's help to equip us through the preaching and teaching of God's Word to give you what you need. But one thing I've realized in, in talking with many individuals over the years I can only give you so much, and it's up to you to do the rest. Same was true for me. Other people could give me so much, but it was up for me to do the rest. I think of growing up as a kid, obviously, being Father's Day. You know, my parents could instruct me and teach me and give me all the principles that I needed to succeed in life, but if I didn't follow them, there's a good chance I wasn't going to be successful. And there were many times in my life growing up that, you know, I'm like, you know what? My dad does not know what he's talking about. He doesn't know what he's doing. So I am going to follow the path that Chris Thorne set out. And a lot of times the path that Chris Thorne set out was not a very good path. It was a path that led towards destruction and, and uh, my demise and, and my failure. You know, my parents were there to try to help me, but here, here's the point. God is there to try to help us, to grow us, to give us what we need. And I'm going to jump right into it this morning. And what we see kind of as a way of review in the first couple of verses here in Acts chapter 13, look where it says, Now there were in the church that were at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, uh, and Manaean. You know, we kind of gave these guys nicknames, or at least I did. You know, we have Luscious Lou and then, you know, Handy Manny here. Uh, anyway, uh, which had been brought up by Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. What, what we had talked about in the first verse is that really this church here at Antioch was very diverse, very ethnic, a lot of different ethnicities within this church. Verse number two, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, as they were working together, not trying to work individually, but working together, they're fasting, they're praying, they're seeking the Lord. The Holy Spirit said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. So the Holy Spirit spoke to them. How? Through really their, their life and, and making sure that they were following the Holy Spirit's leadership and guidance. In verse number three, when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Now, the thing that we had talked about a few weeks ago is this. And here's the reminder that Jesus is the one that guides his church. Jesus guides his church. Look, the moment you get saved, your identity is staked in something that is truly anchored, something that is truly secured. And one thing we have talked about in and through almost every series is that our identity is not in ourselves. Our identity, once we get saved, is in who? In Christ. And understanding that is key. It is foundational to a thriving Christian life. But the moment you believe in that, 
our, our life really, it's, it becomes combustible. Kind of like in the activated series, understanding that we have been activating. You know, I, I gave the illustrations of, of the orange and how an orange is great, but if you do nothing with it, eventually what's going to happen to that orange? It's going to dry up. It's going to be useless. There are a lot of individuals that have a lot of potential within their lives are doing absolutely nothing or the bare minimum. And eventually they are going to dry up, so to speak, spiritually speaking. And then usually what happens when people dry up spiritually, that's when they get bitter. That's when they get angry. That's when they get very complacent. That's when they get very, very much critical. Anybody ever been critical, judgmental, especially within the church? Certain things you just don't like. I, I, I point it back to the fact that people probably aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing, spiritually speaking. So then all of these other things come into their lives. We talked about, you know, the illustration of the match and how a match is great, but it is useless until it's been struck, right? Until it's been activated, until it's been lit on fire, and then it, it lives out the intended purpose. We talked about the shapes and how all of us are, are unique, are we not? Look around in this room, we are all unique. That's a great thing. And again, sometimes we are trying to, to squeeze certain things into places that they shouldn't be, understanding that God has a purpose for our lives. Again, we must be in action. We must be an active church and understand that Jesus is the one that guides his church. You know, it, it's, it's he who the ones that guides us and directs us as he sees fit. You know, I've been here a little over five and a half years now as the pastor and there's a lot of things that I had in mind when I first came here. You know, I wrote out different, different plans, whether it be a three-year plan or a five-year plan. Some of those have come to fruition. Some of those have not. Some of the things that I believe God wanted us to do, we're, we're still on the path of doing those things, but it's much different than I envisioned. Because one thing I've realized over and over and over is that it's Jesus that is directing. It's not about me. I'm just the vessel. I'm the instrument. So are you, the vessel, the instrument, that he is using to fulfill his glory, his purpose. And look, listen, a lot of this stuff is kind of review as we, before we jump into verse 4 through 12. But we shouldn't come to church for self-help only. We come for the spiritual fulfillment. We come for a better understanding of our mission, of our purpose. And then with that understanding, we live it out. You know, the word most commonly translated church in the New Testament is the Greek word ekklesia, which means a called out assembly. The word is used over 115 times in the New Testament, and 112 of those times it's referring to a local assembly of believers. The church should be anything but normal. Christians should be anything but normal. We are a called out people, and something that is called out has a mission. Sometimes we wonder, what is my purpose in this life? Well, if you don't know what your purpose is in this life, you have to read God's Word. You have to obey God's Word. You have to apply God's Word to your life. And here in Antioch, the leaders, they were guided, they were directed by the Holy Spirit. And as we already said, they impacted, they influenced their community. And really, Antioch became the epicenter for world missions. World missions was really started and initiated out of this great church in Antioch. And several principles, I think I have them in your notes, that I gave you in the past several weeks is that there were certain reasons for this. One, they had an effective evangelism. Now, there are a lot of churches that, that do a, whether it be a daily or a weekly evangelism where they're coming together, and that there's nothing wrong with that. that. That is great. But really, it shouldn't be a forced opportunity. We should be living out our faith every day, shouldn't we? 
And any opportunity we get to share the gospel with people, shouldn't we share the gospel? We should. At the very least, invite them to church. I don't want you to raise your hand, but even this week, how many took an opportunity to invite someone to church? Outside of your family, outside of someone that is not already saved. You know, sometimes on holidays and special days, we're getting people to come to our church that are already churched and are already saved. But how often are we actually doing what God wants us to do on a daily basis? You know, these, these group of individuals, go ahead and put that, that list up there, guys, if we have it. They, they had an effective evangelism. There was a dyna- dynamic discipleship, which after they were evangelized, after they were saved, it wasn't just, all right, good luck. They tried to train them. And really, Paul, or Saul, also Paul, actually gets the, the name change here in chapter 13, first time where he's mentioned of Paul. But what we see is that he came back to Antioch with Barnabas, and they spent a year, at least a year of their lives, training and teaching these individuals within the church, which led to the third aspect of them, that they had a, a great mercy ministry. And what, I'm, what I mean by that is that they were very generous. Remember at the time there was a famine, there was a drought in the land, and these group of individuals probably hadn't been saved for more than a year, and yet they came together to help other people. And that's something that I strive for as a pastor, and we've been able to be very generous to missionaries and church planners. You know, we've taken two specific missionary or, uh, missions trips in the past uh, year. And we went to San Francisco at the start of the pandemic last year, but we were able to be a blessing to Jake and Haley Woodfin and their team. And they're already doing a great work there in San Francisco. And then even this year, we were able to, to go to Togo, West Africa, and, and help the Nappers and, and be a great blessing because of many of you that gave generously. Now, I understand that there are some people that do more. There's some people that can do more. But one thing that is required of us is that we do what God has called us to do. Look, and, and, I, and I preached this aspect on stewardship last week in the church that I was at. You can't give what you don't have. It's very easy to think, you know what, man, someone gave like $20,000. I want to give $20,000. If you don't have $20,000, you can't give it. But you have to give what God has given you. And the the aspect that I had made in in the message, and I'll probably have to preach this message again for our church. We looked at, in Exodus chapter 3, 4, and 5, the story of Moses when he was at the burning bush. And the amazing thing about that story is, is when God was speaking to him at the burning bush, What did he have in his hand? He had a rod in his hand. And the thing that God had called him to do was, hey, I want you to throw that rod down. He he looked and saw what Moses had, and he said, I want you to use what you have. And the application for us is so endless that God wants us to use what we have. Not what we don't have, but what we have. In this church in Antioch, they used what they have. Uh, Johnny Hunt a uh, great pastor, I think, in the Georgia area, he said this. He said, today's average Christian, listen to this, spends more time studying theologically why they shouldn't give than actually developing a generous heart and letting God develop the generous heart. This generation can define the gospel, but this generation struggles in declaring the gospel and living the gospel, especially when it comes to our giving. And I think that's true. There are many people today that try their hardest not to give. But if you're a, if, you know, look, I try not to go off on different message today, but we all have spiritual gifts as a Christian, right? We all have things that God has gifted us in. And, and some people, their spiritual gift is the gift of giving. They're very generous. And it's very easy to say, you know what? I don't have the spiritual gift of giving, so I'm just not going to give. That's wrong. 
That's a wrong mindset. That's a wrong attitude. Whether you are gifted and that's just part of who you are, that you generously give to anything and everything and everyone, that's great. But you should also try to cultivate the ones that you struggle in. And one thing that we all struggle with sometimes is our giving, right? Now we'll give to ourselves. We'll give to our immediate family. But sometimes we struggle really reaching out. And I've seen it in church so many, so many times. And again, statistics are statistics. But they, they say that the average, you know, in, in the average church, 20% of the people are, are really doing about 80% of the work. I don't know what the statistics are in our church. I haven't gone in-depth enough to see. But I would understand, or I, I would dare say that that's probably true. In a lot of churches, and, and maybe, maybe our church is, is better. Maybe we're 50%. But 50% is still not 100%. Any of you that have gone through school... How, would, how many of you would be fine with getting a 50 on every test? Anybody? Some of you are like, if I passed, okay. But 50 isn't passing. And again, there are so many things that God wants us to do, but he works through us. And the point I'm trying to make, I'm not trying to get things from you. I, I, I preach this way and I teach this way of what God wants for you. It's not what I want from you, but it's what God wants for you. So we see that they had this amazing mercy ministry. They were generous that they gave what they have. But another thing, these last three that we had talked about uh, last time was that they were an inclusively diverse church. As we looked at in verse number one, they had a multi-ethnic group of leaders. They had people there in in Antioch. They also had people in Northern Africa and and blacks and and, and whites and, you know, all, all of these mixing together. And that's a great thing. That's how the church should be. Another thing that they were spirit-directed and gospel-driven, they, they listened to the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit was asking them to do something, you know what they did? They listened to it, and they followed it. Look, there's been many times when the Holy Spirit has directed me to do something, and you know what? I didn't do it. And I'm sure if you're honest, you probably could say the same thing. You know what? The Holy Spirit was really prompting me to do something or say something to an individual, and I'm like, you know what? Let's just let someone else do that. That's not me listening to the Holy Spirit. That's not me allowing the Holy Spirit to direct me and to guide me and to lead me. The Holy Spirit spoke to this group of individuals as they were praying and fasting. And you know what they did? They did it. They sent what the, what, what the Holy Spirit had told them to send. And, and another thing that we see is that they, they sent out their best. Paul and Barnabas, two of the best of the best, especially within this church. And yet this church was willing to sacrifice some of their best. And that's a scary thought. And as I've said that before, it's a scary thought sending out our best to go to other places of the world. But that's how it should be. And what we see as we move on from the first few verses of chapter 13 is that now in chapter 13 and 14, what we see is this, the church is sent out. And that's kind of what our, our, uh, our series is about, the, the sent. Over the next two chapters, we're going to embark on Paul's first missionary journey with Barnabas. And there are several important applications that we will see. But one thing that I have learned and one thing that we need to understand is this. We're not going to reach the nations apart from personal sacrifice. There must be a personal sacrifice in our life if we're going to reach others with Christ. And honestly, I say this and sometimes I'm guilty of it. I'm, sometimes I am very much content with staying in my little bubble, my little area. Because I know if I get out of that, 
it's going to be uncomfortable, right? Because it's out of my comfort zone. But what we have to do is we have to become comfortable being uncomfortable. And honestly, that's the thing that I desire of our church, getting us to be comfortable in being uncomfortable in realizing that maybe the things we're doing now is not what we're supposed to be doing down the road. Or maybe there's other things that God wants to do in us and through us. And what we see in this uh, next several verses is, is the first stop on this journey. As they go to Cyprus in verse number four, verse number four, but before we get to this stop, I want you to look at the first really couple lines of, of verse number four. It says, so they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, one thing I've learned again many times in my life is the necessity of living a life directed by the Spirit. Look, the church, yes, the church sent out Paul and Barnabas and they, they commissioned them. But listen to this statement. We can commission people, but we have no power within ourselves. We can license, we can ordain, we can send people on sacred tasks, but unless the Holy Spirit anoints them, directs them, leads them, guides them, their labors will all be useless. From Seleucia, what we see is the church being sent out going forward. Look at verse number four. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Spirit, departed unto Seleucia. And from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had also John to their minister. And when they had gone through the Isle of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus. And we're going to look at him in just a second. But from Seleucia, which is the port of Antioch, where they were located, Paul and Barnabas sailed west to the island of Cyprus, stopping first at that eastern port in Salamis. Uh, do we have... Go ahead and put, put up that map. Um, yeah, there it is. I know it's kind of hard to see. So... What we have here is we have Antioch. Antioch is right here. Cyprus is right here. So they sailed from Antioch, from Seleucia, all the way to Salamis, to Cyprus. Now this is important. And I think one of the reasons why they went here first is because this is the home of Barnabas. So what better place to go than to a place that someone already knows what is going on there? And after arriving, the team employed a strategy that we are going to see many times over in their ministry. Look at verse number five. This is all going somewhere, and this is very important, so please stay with me. And when they arrived at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. So they started out preaching to the Jews, and really, this reminds us later in the book of Romans why Paul did that, because he said later in Romans that he was commanded to first give the gospel to the Jew and then to the Gentile. But Paul and Barnabas travel 90 miles then across the island of Paphos. And while they are traveling across this island and preaching the gospel, they encounter two specific individuals. Verse number six, we are met with a false prophet, this sorcerer named Bar-Jesus. Now it's kind of ironic that his name is Bar-Jesus, which basically means son of Jesus, son of God, so to speak, son of Messiah, when he is anything but that. <laughs> And then we are met with a Roman governor or the proconsul of Cyprus, a guy named Sergius Paulus. Sergius Paulus, Paulus was from the West. He was a Roman uh, official. He was a leader in the government. 
And it's very important to understand that aspect. So we have a Roman government official, and then we have a Jew that is turned into a sorcerer, a you know, magician. And this isn't someone that's just pulling you know, uh, rabbits out of a hat. This is someone that is in the occult and practicing false beliefs and trying to deliberately lead people astray. And what we're going to see in the next couple of verses, the rest of these verses this morning, is something that is very applicable for us today in our mission for God, as we go out on mission for God, doing what He wants us to do. First thing, again, let's read these verses, verse number uh, 6. And when they had gone through the Isle of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer. So as they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, they come in contact with an individual that is against Christ, against Christianity. This false prophet, this Jew, and that's kind of contradictory right there, whose name was Bar-Jesus. Verse number seven, which uh, was with the deputy of the country, really the governor of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. Now, I'm sure the reason he desired to hear from them is because he had heard what was going on in his little area. He had heard that people had been saved and baptized and believed and he knew that something was different about these individuals. Now, he had this Bar-Jesus, this, uh, this false prophet that was in his ear, but he realized that what he was teaching him was wrong. It was false theology. And what we understand, first and foremost, as we continue our mission for God, there are certain people, first of all, that will be open to God's Word. Some people will be open to God's Word. Sergius Paulus was open to hearing about God. He wanted to hear about the, 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 the God and the Jesus of the New Testament, the, the Jesus that, that Paul and Barnabas were, were teaching and preaching. You know, Bar-Jesus, again, he's the personal prophet of Sergius Paulus. But Sergius Paulus hungered for more. He desired more. He desired the truth. And Paul's message was so radically different than that of Bar-Jesus had been teaching. Look, you never know who's going to listen to the gospel. That's why we have to have a continued boldness in sharing our faith. It's very easy, and, 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 and listen to this, it's very easy to just, in our mind, eliminate certain people. And what I mean is that we think there's no way they're ever going to receive it. They're two important individuals. They're not going to receive it, so I'm not going to waste my time sharing. Make sense? You know, Paul and Barnabas could have been like, you know what, this guy is a government official. He's not going to listen to us. He's got this false prophet. He's got this sorcerer with him that's, you know, feeding him lies. He's not going to listen to us. We're not going to go to this meeting because it could just be a setup. But Paul realized that he had a task. He had a job to do, to share the gospel. And we never know who was going to hear it and who was listening to it. And Paul told the Corinthians that the conversion of the powerful really was a rare thing. 1 Corinthians 1.26, a lot of times the most powerful, the most prominent individuals don't necessarily receive salvation because they are too pride in themselves. But here in Paphos, a powerful man found himself attracted to the Word of God. You know, I think of that song, you know, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about a somebody who saved my soul, and that's how it should be. We should just be trying to tell others about the one that saved our soul no matter who they are. The first thing we see is that on our mission for God, as we are allowing the mission to shape us in our lives, some people along the way are going to be open to it. But then secondly, some people will oppose it. 
How many have ever shared your faith and someone didn't like what you shared? Anybody? Has that ever happened to you? That's happened to me countless times. It happens here as Paul and Barnabas are sharing their faith. Sadly, not everyone will receive the word. I, I wish, and I know this as a pastor, but I wish that every time I preached, every time I taught, and I know it's not eloquent, but every time I taught, every time I preached, people would just embrace it and receive it and go out and live it. But I know that's not true because I know my own life. And I know many times growing up, I'd be sitting there in the front left of our church and I wouldn't be paying attention. I'd be thinking of everything else, as some of you guys are probably doing right now. Thinking of what's going on for lunch or some of the guys like, okay, how can I stretch this $5 gift card into $10 at Whataburger for lunch? Maybe there's a guy that doesn't like Whataburger, so I'm going to take his gift card. You know, we're thinking of all kinds of different things. Instead of focusing on the message, instead of focusing on the word. But the thing is, there's going to be opposition. And everyone that we share our faith with is not going to receive it. There are going to be people that oppose it. And I've met many people in my day that have opposed the word. As I shared it, you know what? Hey, this is what you need. You need the gospel truth that Jesus came for you, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he rose victoriously, that he wants to give you freedom to live a new identity, to understand who you truly are. Again, we'll never understand who we are until we understand whose we are. And whose we are is Christ. He purchased us. He paid for us. But I've come across opposition many times in sharing my faith. You know, I, I've, I've, I've been with people and then, you know, you have incidences like this where, where you're, you're sharing with someone and then all of a sudden the doorbell rings or the phone rings or they get a text message or they have a crazy kid <laughs> or there's an accident, there's a smoke alarm, you know, you name it. And Paul and Barnabas here are met with opposition. This man, Bar-Jesus, also known as Elemas, as we see in verse number eight, but Elemas the sorcerer, for so his name by interpretation, withstood them. He was against them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. So as Paul and Barnabas are teaching Jesus, we have this other guy. Hey, they're a bunch of lunatics. They don't know what they're talking about. What they're teaching you is not the truth. He is a pseudo-Jesus, using the name of Jesus to deceive, to, dis- to detract from and destroy and look, there has always been a Bar-Jesus. There have always been Bar-Jesuses. There have always been people that are trying to turn people away. And look around in our culture, there are a lot of Bar-Jesuses today. There are a lot of individuals that are trying to push people away from the gospel, push people away from the truth. And even good people that have grown up in church have been led astray by these Bar-Jesuses, by these Elemases. Look, there's always a distraction from the enemy. Things like, you know, if God really loved you, he would, he would do this for you. If God really loved you, he would give you this. He would bless you with this. And then we start believing some of those lies. Well, you know what? I've been going to church for a long time. I don't have what they have. So obviously God doesn't love me. Obviously God doesn't care for me. Well, that's some of the lies that our opposition, that our enemy is trying to infiltrate within our minds And he does a great job. He does a great job of making some of us very anxious individuals, right? Worrying about things that we have no control over. And look, I struggle greatly with that. And I know many of you struggle greatly with that. Again, why do we worry when we can't control it? Instead of giving it to God, giving it to Jesus and realizing, you know what? 
He's in control. Like I said last year, at the beginning of last year, one thing I desire from you, and really I was preaching as much to myself as you, I desire that we learn to lose control. Because in losing control, we realize where control is, and it's in the arms of Jesus. He's the only one that has control of everything. And if we trust him that he is in control, our life is so much better. I promise you, when you fully give up control of your life, of your thoughts, of your agenda to Jesus, your life is going to be so much better, so much more meaningful. But the more you fight it, the more you oppose it, the more you try to hold on to something that is not yours to hold on to, the more you're going to struggle. And that's what we're seeing. And that's what we've seen. You know, verse number nine gives us the first uh, reference to Saul's name being changed to Paul. Paul was more likely his Roman name. And since his missionary ventures would be in the Greco-Roman area, uh, it makes sense for him to be addressed as Paul going forward. But the next few verses, 9 through 11, what we see is that opposition, he, he was met with opposition. Look at verse number 9. Then Saul, also was called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, filled with the Holy Spirit. That's an important principle. He wasn't full of himself. Paul could have easily been full of himself. But you know how Paul wasn't full of himself? We learn this later in his letters. He did something that all of us have to do. Die daily of himself. Die daily of what he wanted to do. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He, the Holy Spirit set his eyes on him. Verse number 10. And it said, oh, full of all subtle, subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil. So now he is, he is pinpointing this Bar-Jesus, this devil character. He's calling him out for who he is. Thou enemy of all righteousness. You're an enemy of the truth. Wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? Hey, won't you stop doing what you're doing? You foolish individual. Paul's not afraid to call it like it is. To say it like it is. And honestly, sometimes many of us, we're afraid because, you know, whether we trying to be politically correct today or we don't want to offend anyone, we're very much people pleasers, and I am just as much of a people pleaser as anyone else. All of us struggle with that, I think. And sometimes in the people pleasing, we don't call it like it is. In some people, some people do too much of calling it like it is, and they run everyone away, and that's not a good thing. But in that, we have to realize that Paul was bold in his faith. He calls them out. He speaks with passion and boldness. And this is important, listen, because the spiritual fate of Sergius Paulus lie in the balance. The spiritual fate of Sergius Paulus was at stake. Paul knew that. Barnabas knew that. He wasn't willing to let this individual go to hell if he had a chance to teach him and, and, and point him to Jesus. Now this is an event, or this event is an illustration of the lesson that Jesus taught on the parable of the tares in Matthew chapter 13. You know, wherever the Lord sows his true children, the wheat, Satan comes along and sows a counterfeit, the tares, a child of the devil. In Matthew 18, Jesus spoke firmly to those who hinder children from coming to him. He said it would be better for them to tie millstones around their necks and jump in the sea than cause someone to stumble away from their faith. That's serious because eternal life is a serious business. And what we have here is that we have Paul full of the Spirit while Bar-Jesus is full of deceit, full of trickery. Paul is a child of God while Bar-Jesus is a son of the devil. Paul is announcing the way of salvation while Bar-Jesus is 
perverting the way of salvation. He is advocating a spiritual perversion. And Paul recognized that Elymas was a child of the devil. And what happened next was amazing. Verse number 11. And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind. And this is important for so many reasons. He already had a spiritual blindness. He could not see the truth. And now he was going to be inflicted with a physical blindness. You will be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. This was a temporary thing. And immediately there fell on him in the midst a darkness. He was already in darkness and now he is in a physical darkness. And he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Look, the issue here is a root issue, not a fruit issue. The issue here is on identity. The solution to your problems is not more of yourself. It's not more of the world. It's not another self-help book. The answer to your problem is Jesus. And sometimes we are so focused on changing the fruit that we neglect to dig deeper into the root of it all. You see, Bar-Jesus or Elemis reminds me of this, that there are always going to be those who oppose the gospel. And as a consequence, the Lord strikes him blind. The man that loved darkness is now living in darkness. His judgment was really indicative of his future judgment. And the third thing we see, not only will some people be open to God's word, some people will oppose it, but then thirdly, we have to also realize that some people are going to embrace God's word. Look at verse number 12. Then the deputy, this is talking about Sergius Paulus, he saw everything that was going on. He had heard Paul and Barnabas teaching the truth of Jesus Christ. And when he had saw what was done, what's the next word? He believed. He witnessed it. He witnessed what the gospel can do. He believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. You know, the, the darkness overcame Elemas. But Sergius Paulus was overcome with the light of salvation. And that's what salvation does. That's what the gospel does. It takes us from the darkness. It removes the darkness and brings us into the glorious light. And when he saw this, he believed. You know, Bar-Jesus was trying to prevent Sergius from becoming a Christian. But God used what happened to bring him to faith. And this reminds me that you know, Sergius Paulus reminds us that there are some that will embrace the gospel. And the point I'm trying to make, and I'm going to go a little bit deeper in the application in the EQ time in a few minutes, but the point I'm trying to make is that we can't not do what God has called us to do because we're afraid of people not receiving it. There are going to be some that are open to it. You know what? I'll listen to what you have to say. There are going to be some like, man, forget you, get away from me, they'll cuss us out, they'll, you know, spit on us, they'll, they'll do anything and everything to get us away. What we have to do is kind of shake the dust off our feet and move on and go to the next place and do what God wants us to do next. But what happens a lot of times when someone opposes what we say, sometimes like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm done. I can't do that anymore. That was too scary. Well, it is. And it's a fearful thing. But again, it's not about us. Paul could have easily said, you know what? I'm done. But back in verse number 9, we learn that Paul was what? He was full of the Spirit. The Spirit was the one that was directing him. The Holy Spirit was the one that was leading him. The Holy Spirit was the one that was guiding him. 
And again, there are many bar Jesuses in our world today preaching a fake gospel, but the truth of the gospel is not save yourself. The truth of the gospel is that you can't do anything because someone else already did it. And what you want to do is of no value and pointless because the message of the true gospel is that it's already been done for you. And what we learn is that the gospel gives victory over spiritual darkness. That's what we see here in chapter 13. The gospel gives victory over spiritual darkness. And the point of this this application that we are trying to make, and again, I I encourage you to stick around for the EQ time because we're going to go a little bit deeper into some things that I don't have time to to get into today, but it's really going to be the application to, to, to drive it home even further. But as the church is growing spiritually, the gospel is going to spread radically. You know, that, that's our purpose as a church. We exist to reach people with what? The radical power of the gospel. But we have to realize that God has given us a job to do. That God has called us to live on mission. That God has called his church to be on the move, to be sent, to be going, to be active. I don't know if you've learned anything from Acts. I don't. But I hope that you've learned that Acts is a book of action, that as a Christian, we should be active in our faith, not passive, not sitting back doing nothing, but going forward and doing what God wants us to do. Because as we all know, our time here on earth is short. We don't know how long we have. We could have another day. We can have another hundred days or thousands of days. We don't know. But as long as we have, we should be doing everything that God has given us to do living out for His purpose, for His glory. But we have to do what God has called us to do. We have to be busy with the gospel, to be busy living on mission for God to be busy understanding that we have a purpose in this world, in this life. All of us understand, or we want to understand what our purpose is. I'm trying to share with you what your purpose is. Your purpose is to live on mission. Your purpose is to live the gospel. And again, sometimes I I look out as I preach and I feel like I don't know if anything is getting through. As some of you parents look at your kids sometimes, is anything getting through to you? What I'm saying, are you listening to the words that are coming out of my mouth? But again, I'm thankful for the opportunity to preach and teach. But it's not just, all right, well, pastor did a good job again. Let's go live whatever we want to do. Let's live however we want to live. If that's how we're living, then we're making a serious mistake. You know, even in Revelation, as, as, as we've been looking at, at the new Jerusalem and what heaven is going to look like. Heaven is a wonderful place and and it's just beyond imagination. John couldn't even describe it all. You know, we need to be focused on heaven, but at the same time, as we focus on heaven, realize that eternity is in view, but there's still something to do here until we get there. And I'm thankful for the freedom we have in Christ. I really am. I'm thankful that I'm not under the burden of the law, as in the Old Testament. But sometimes people have taken that to the extreme. 
Well, because I'm not under law anymore, I don't have to do some of those things that were in the Old Testament. And really, they don't even do the things that were in the New Testament. I'm free in Christ. Well, you're free in Christ to still do what Christ wants you to do. Not to live how you want to live, but to live how he wants you to live. And again, if we could grasp this truth, church, if we can understand this, our church could explode. And it's more than just people in this auditorium. And there's an illustration I'm going to make here in a few minutes in the, in the EQ. But, you know, our church shouldn't be about the seating capacity. I think there's 128 seats in here. You know, if we fill them up, great. If we don't, whatever, that's fine. But it shouldn't be about, okay, we need more chairs. We need more chairs. It shouldn't be about the seating capacity. What it should be about is the sending capacity. Are we sending people? Are we ourselves being sent out? Again, it's not about, well, God hasn't called me to go to Africa or Chile or some other place, but he's called you to go where you are and to reach people where you are because you're going to come in contact with people that I'll never come in contact with. And the, the way you're going to do this is if you're growing spiritually. If you're growing in your understanding of who you are in Christ, honestly, I'm going to keep preaching this until we get it. And honestly, I'll probably preach it until I die. Because I've been saved a long time. 37 years old now, I've been saved for almost 33 years. And I'm just now starting to understand who I am in Christ. And as I'm understanding it, I'm trying my best to live it, but I know I'm failing. And I know since I'm failing, I'm sure you're failing too. It's not saying, hey, we're all failures today, but understanding that, you know what? The gospel frees me from the burden of trying to live up to someone else's standard. Understanding that Jesus already accepts us if we're saved. He's redeemed us. And the past is just that. It's the past. So many times we allow the past to control us. We allow our failures, our, our shortcomings, I guess I should say, to keep us from doing what God wants us to do. All of us have shortcomings in here. We can spend the next 30 minutes and talk about all of our shortcomings. Let's point them all out. No, but we all have shortcomings. But the gospel frees us from that and helps us realize that we are accepted. We've been adopted. We're not burdened down. We're not tied down anymore. We're free to live as Christ wants us to live. We're free to thrive, to, 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 to be the individual, the Christian that he's called us to be. And the only way we find that is when we understand the gospel, that it is the good news, but it's more than that. As I've said before, one of the great definitions that I love about the gospel is four words, Jesus in my place. He took my place. He took your place so that we can live for him, so that we can bring him glory. And as we see in our story today, the gospel gives victory over spiritual darkness. Sergius Paulus was spiritually blind, but he saw the light of salvation as Paul himself earlier, some 12 years earlier, literally was blinded by a light. Sergius Paulus saw the light of salvation and there are a lot of people in our world that are living in darkness that need to understand what true victory is. And the only way they'll understand is if we do our job and tell them.